Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Well, before we do get started, I do want to let you know the program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. I want to thank uh, Peter, who uh, kindly sent in a donation by check to our P.O. Box, P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. You can also support the show on a one-time basis at support.greatdetectives.net. You can become an ongoing uh, monthly supporter of the show, uh, automatically sending amounts of $2 or more at uh, patreon.greatdetectives.net. Also, over at greatdetectives.net this weekend, my review of The St. Bid's Diamonds, a uh, saint novel by Leslie Charteris. Now it's time for today's episode of Dragnet. You can receive all of my book reviews and uh, other uh, greatdetectives.net articles automatically delivered to your Kindle and try that service out free for two weeks. Well, now it's time for today's episode of Dragnet. The original air date, January the 25th, 1950, and the title is The Big Tomato. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a narcotics detail. A band of dope peddlers launches a full-scale operation in your city. Their merchandise, marijuana. Their victims, high school students. Your job, get them. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, April 11th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of narcotics detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Kearney. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from R&I, and it was 10.25 a.m. when I got to Central Station. Narcotics detail. Joe? Hi. What'd you find out? Talked to the coroner. He finished posting the body. Yeah. Cause of death, multiple fractures of the skull, internal injuries. Boy was 17 years old. Yeah. You checked the car? Yeah, the kid must have been doing at least 70 when he hit that streetlight. It's a real mess. Car was really wound around that pole. We're gonna have to dig up a fast answer somewhere. Lousy racket. Well, there's only one way to burn it out. Find the big man and throw the book at him. Make him an example he'll never forget, huh? You checked with Juvenile Bureau? Yeah, the evidence has been booked with the property clerk. How about the boy's parents? Mrs. Moore wasn't feeling too well. They drove her home. Father's still down the hall in Inspector Walker's office. Well, can we talk to him now? Yeah, he should be free by now. Let me check the book. For no, him. already did. There's no calls. Oh, okay. Let's go. You know, there's only one thing fortunate about this whole thing. What do you mean? Well, the kid being alone when he cracked up. 
Would have been a slaughter if he had a car full of his friends with him. And still pretty grim. How's the boy's father taking it? Usual, pretty rough. He should be able to help some. Yeah. Mr. Morrow? Yes, Sergeant. Inspector asked me to wait here for you. Yes, sir. This is my partner, Sergeant Friday. Mr. Morrow, you. Mr. Morrow, Mr. Friday. I just don't understand it, Sergeant. I don't understand any of it. My boy Ken wasn't the type to go racing around like that in the car. He never took the car without my permission. I just don't know what got into it. Had you noticed at all whether your boy was acting a little strange the last few weeks or so? No. Of course, I only saw Ken in the morning, a few hours in the evening. I'm at the office all day. Why do you ask that? Well, was he going out very often on school nights, uh, keeping odd or unusual hours? He used to go to the library three or four nights a week to do schoolwork. Got home about midnight a few times, and I warned him about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you have any way of knowing if he was really spending his nights at the library? No, but I took his word for it. Ken didn't lie to me. What's this have to do with the auto accident, Sergeant? I don't think I understand. The officers investigating the accident, sir, they checked over the car afterward. What was it? Were the brakes bad? What did they find? Bill? Yeah. Now, you see this small metal case? We found it in the front seat on the floor of the car. What's that stuff inside? Did this belong to Ken? Yes, sir. We think he was using it. What for? I don't know. It's marijuana. Men and women who traffic in narcotics all the way from the small-time peddler to the big wholesaler are rated among the lowest kind of criminal. One step lower, you find an even more vicious kind. Those who lure youngsters into the deadly trap of narcotics, who feed on the nickels and dimes by supplying their young victims with dope. The death of 17-year-old Kenneth Morrow was the second of its kind within eight months. It seemed to stem from unidentified suspects who were making it their business to build a thriving marijuana trade among high school students. Thursday, 11 a.m., we continued to question the dead boy's father, Thomas Morrow, but he couldn't tell us anything further that might help. Friday, April 12th, we checked with the principal of the high school which the Morrow boy attended. We talked to the boy's teachers and checked his school record. His marks had been above average till about three months before when they began to fall off for no apparent reason. We got a list of most of the boy's friends from his teachers and we started checking them out. One was a 16-year-old blonde girl, Peggy Kane, supposedly Kenneth Morrow's girlfriend. We found her waiting outside the music room. Yes, Ken and I went around together for a while. He was a real nice boy. Did you see each other quite a bit, Peggy? Oh, for about five or six months, yes, we got along fine. Just after Christmas was the last time I went out with him, and we double-dated. Mm-hmm. Did he seem all right to you then? I mean, did he act different at all? Well, a little different, yes. Not silly, you know. He just wasn't like he used to be. Well, how do you mean? Well, he didn't talk the same. Ken was a real nice boy most of the time. I guess he started getting in with the wrong crowd. He began to swear, you know, bad talk, things like that. When did all this start, Peggy? Do you remember? Just before Christmas, I think. I'm not sure. Poor Ken. Is there anything else you might have noticed? I don't know. Ken used to be pretty good about his studies. Then all of a sudden, it seemed he just didn't care. Sometimes he'd come into the library. We used to study there. He'd make a lot of noise. He'd just change, that's all. For a while, we didn't see each other there anymore. Well, why was that, Peggy? We just didn't come down. I called his house a couple of times. His folks said he was at the library. I didn't say anything to him. Mm -hmm. Well, did Ken have many friends here at school? Do you know that? Not many, no. I see. Well, those he did have, who would you say was closer to him? Oh, gee, I don't know, Sergeant. 
There were half a dozen of them. Ken used to be with all of them. No one boy in particular? Well, Bob Lavelle, maybe. I saw Ken in Bob's car a few times. Does Lavelle go to school here? Yes, he's a senior. Ken used to work with Bob down in the cafeteria after school, but he got in the mix-up. He was fired. Bob was fired? No, Ken. He was rude to one of the ladies down there who does the cooking. Bob still works there. Would he be at the cafeteria now, do you know? Yes, I think so. The fountain's open until about 3.30. And you think that this Bob Lavelle was about the closest friend that Ken had, huh? I think so. The only one I know, anyway. Have you talked to Ken's folks? Yeah, we have. I feel so sorry for him. Oh, gee, I think I have to go now, Sergeant. I have a chemistry class. Just one more question, Peggy. Last time you went out with Ken on this double date, who was the other couple? Do you remember? I don't remember their names. They were some kids I never saw before. Ken knew them. It wasn't much of a date. Mm-hmm. Where did you go? We started for the show, but Ken changed his mind. He wanted to go to the beach and park. He was acting funny, talking all the time, saying silly things. The other boy was the same way. Oh, were they drinking? No, I never saw Ken take a drink. I couldn't smell any liquor on his breath. I don't know. It was such a silly thing. What's that? Well, maybe it's just my imagination, but Ken and this other boy had a real terrible musty smell about him. I kidded them about it, and they said they'd been to a tea party. That's where they got it. They kept talking silly like that all evening. Mm, I see. Was the musty smell all over the car or just on the boys? All over. Kind of made me sick, but they didn't seem to mind it. Look, I'd like you to think real careful, Peggy. Have you ever come across that musty smell on anybody around the school here? Yes, I have. A couple of times. Makes me sick. What is it? Who did you notice it on, Peggy? Bob Lavelle. Ben and I went back to the principal's office and checked the record on Robert Lavelle. He was 18 years old and he was scheduled to graduate in June. The registrar told us that there was a good chance that he wouldn't be graduated because his marks had been poor for the better part of the year. They dropped even lower during the present semester. Lavelle had played football the year before and had made third string on the all-city team. He was well-liked by his teachers. For the last two years, he'd worked part-time at the school soda fountain. We went down to interview him. Nice setup, huh? Yeah. Cafeteria, soda farm. Wasn't like that in my day. Mm, it must be the boy there behind the counter. Oh, yeah. Let's sit down. Mm-hmm. How about that, Joe? What's that? That sign hanging up there. Idiot special. Five scoops of ice cream, marshmallow, bananas, chocolate, strawberry flavoring, whipped cream topping... Maraschino cherries, chopped nuts, and onion? No, you're reading over. That's on the hamburger sign there. Oh. Yeah? You want something? Chocolate soda. Could you make it with vanilla ice cream, please? Chocolate soda with vanilla cream. Are you Bob Lavelle? Yeah, that's right. Police officers, Bob. We'd like to talk to you. Oh. Well, I'm pretty busy right now. Got to clean up. We close in a few minutes. I'll make you soda right away. You say chocolate? Yeah, that's right. We'll make it brief. Did you know Ken Morrow, Bob? A little, yeah. He used to work here. Did you spend much time with him? Outside of school, I mean? Not much. Went to a couple of shows together, that's about all. I'm kind of rushed now. When was the last time that you saw him? You remember? A week ago, I guess. Too bad about Ken. How about the night he was in the accident? Did you see him then? No, I didn't know him too well. He went around with a different crowd. Mm-hmm. They reached me a bag of those cashews, huh, Joe, on the card there? Yeah. Oh. There you go. Oh, thanks. 
Want some? Crisp? No, no, thanks. The nuts are a dime, officer. Right there on the counter, Bob. Oh, yeah. I got to get going as soon as I close. I have to get out of town. We talked to some of Ken Morrow's friends around the school, Bob. They tell us that he used to drive around in your car with you quite a bit. Just a couple of times around school. And you hadn't been with him for about a week before the accident. That's right. Just what I told you. Mm-hmm. You want a little whipped cream on that? Yeah. Yeah, Lil. How about a cherry? Good. Good idea. There you are. Thank you. Too late to fix the hamburger? Yeah, I really got to close up. It's getting a little late, officers. I'm going to have to close up right now. Well, we'll make it fast. Uh, did you notice anything different about the Morrow boy in the last few weeks? Anything peculiar at all? No, he was the same as ever. I didn't notice anything. All right, look, Bob, we're going to lay it out for you. Did you know he was using marijuana? No, I didn't know anything about it. you have any idea where he might have gotten it? I wouldn't know that. Look, you mind if I lock up the counter now? I'll come around the other side. Sure, go ahead. I didn't know that about Ken, officer. I wouldn't know where he got the stuff. You sure he was using Mary? Well, we found some in his car. We found some more in his locker upstairs. That's tough. Anything more, officer? I gotta hurry. Well, it's just routine, Bob. We did the same with the other boys we talked to. We'd like to check your locker. You don't mind, do you? I gotta get out of town. I'm late now. Your locker's just upstairs, isn't it? Won't take that long. It's important to me. I gotta get out of town. We've got our car outside. We'll drive you down. We'll be down there in no time. No, I've already got a ride. Can't you check it tomorrow? Not gonna take a minute, Bob. Now let's go, huh? All right. Say, I happen to remember I didn't bring my locker key today. That's so? Yeah. Come to think of it, I don't know where it is. I guess I lost it. We must have a pass key around here, don't we? I don't think so. Well, we'll ask at the office, huh? You're putting me in a jam, officer. That's going to take time. I'm due downtown. I'm sorry, Bob, but we got to check it. I got my locker all jammed up with stuff. It'll take us an hour. Office is down there, Joe. Yeah, all right, let's go. I don't know why you're picking on me. My locker's jammed. They can't get it open. Why are you picking on me? Let's ask him here. Go ahead, Bob. Close the door. Yeah? I've got my key. I'll show you. Robert Lavelle took us to his locker and opened it. Hidden inside one of his gym shoes, we found four sticks of medium-grade marijuana. We took them, put them in an envelope, and sealed it. On the way downtown, the boy told us that he'd been buying the stuff for about six months and reselling it to some of the students at the high school said that he paid 50 cents a piece for the sticks and sold them for 75. He was an occasional user himself. Before we turned him over to the juvenile officers, he told us that a man named Ray Jensen supplied him with the marijuana. Jensen's address was a trailer camp in the southwest part of Los Angeles. We drove out and checked with the operator of the camp. He pointed out Jensen's trailer at the rear of the camp. That one, Joe? The blue and gray one? Yeah, this is good right here. Okay. Looks like Jensen's doing well, huh? Yeah, nice-looking trailer. Just a minute. Yeah? Police officer. All right, open it up. Get out of here. Come Get on. Out. Watch it, Joe. All right, hold it, mister. Get out. Get out. All right, Jensen. Ooh. 
That's good, Ben. I'll get him. Yeah. All right, come on, get out. What's the pitch, huh? Where's your warrant? It's all over the floor, Jensen. Marijuana. Who tipped? One of those lousy kids, huh? Which one? You guess. You know enough of them. You can't tab me for all that. I'm not the big guy. All right, then who is? I don't know. I'm only one of the mules. Where do you get your stuff? The big guy, the big tomato. That's what they call him. Yeah? Big man. Nobody sees him. I don't even know what he looks like. Neither do you. You let us worry about that. Come on. Big tomato. That's what they call him. You won't get him. He's smart. You won't get him in 89 years. Maybe not, but we'll get him. are listening to Dragnet, authentic stories of your police force in action. Friday, April the 12th, 7 p.m. We searched the trailer and a stakeout was placed on it, and then we took Ray Jensen downtown to the main jail where he was booked for suspicion of narcotics, a felony. The next day, Ben and I went back and questioned him. We got nowhere. The only thing he'd tell us was that the leader of the marijuana ring was unknown to him. The big tomato, that's all he could tell us. We went back and started rechecking leads furnished us by some of the high school boys who'd purchased narcotics from Robert Lavelle. They all ended nowhere. Meantime, the flow of marijuana into the schools and into the hands of the teenage students continued. We'd no sooner choke off one source of supply when two more would turn up. We knew that there was only one real solution. Find the gang leader and wipe out the entire supply and distribution setup. We stayed on it. Monday, April 22nd. Ben got a call from one of his informants that he had a lead on the source of marijuana on the east side of town. The informant's name was Willie Breck, a groundskeeper at a golf course near one of the city high schools. We drove out to talk to him. We located Breck by the clubhouse near the first tee. You remember my partner, don't you, Willie? Joe Friday? Oh, yeah. Hi. How are you, Willie? Kind of busy today. Big tournament. Yeah, quite a crowd you got here. It's a nice turnout. Yeah, you've been having trouble, huh? Out of Marion Town? Yeah, you think you can help us? Maybe I can. Dirty business, huh? Working high school kids with that stuff. It's real dirty. Any ideas, Willie? Don't know how much of it's true. It's all from the grapevine downtown. The boss is somebody they call the Big Tomato. It's a funny one, huh? Any idea who he is? Couldn't say. He's getting lots of this stuff in, though. Usual feed line over from Mexico. Mm-hmm. What else, Willie? I hear there's more on the way. Don't know when, though. All for high school trade. Guess they figure they got a good business. How'd they get in the junk over, do you know? No, but it's getting here. Most any kid can get some over on this side of town. Imagine that. Kids in their teens. Weed hits. Yeah. How about this big tomato, Willie? No word at all? Just one. Pretty thin. Yeah. There's a connection... Lives over on Hauser Boulevard. Got his number here somewhere. It's supposed to be the main connection for this tomato guy. Oh, yeah. There's his address. Uh, third number there. It's a six. Guy's name is Tony Childs. Mm-hmm. Is he supposed to handle all the stuff? Most of what I hear. Gets it all from the big tomato. Isn't that about it? That's it. Tony Childs. You got the address. Many thanks, Willie. Anything comes up, you'll call, huh? Sure thing. How's the job out here? Better than yours. I sure wouldn't want it. Working every day around joy poppers, mules, mainliners. Well, somebody's got to do it, Willie. Yeah, but not for me, Sergeant. Those dopesters are all lice. Selling junk to kids. Guess you met the lowest, huh? No, not yet. We're looking for him. 
We went back to the office and checked the name and address of Tony Childs through R&I. No previous record. A stakeout was placed on his home and at his place of business. Childs himself was placed under 24-hour surveillance. A week passed. Nothing happened. Another week. Still nothing. There was no let-up in the supply of marijuana finding its way into the city and then into the schools. We couldn't see the beginnings of the racket, but we saw the end result. The percentage of juvenile users was still on the upswing. Wednesday, May 8th. We heard rumbles of another big marijuana buy in the offing. Either it failed to materialize or we missed it. Friday, May 10th. Ben and I took our turn shadowing the suspect, Tony Childs. Can you see him from here, Joe? Yeah. He's still in the barber shop. There's two guys with him. Yeah. Ten past four, we better check in, huh? Yeah, I'll call in, huh? Drugstore there. Must have a phone. Yeah, all right. I'll be right back. Narcotics, please. Thank you. Yeah, Johnny, it's Joe Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we got him paid. Okay, right away. Bye. What have you got? Tony Childs. They want him picked up right away. How come? Well, they just raided his place. They found 32 ounces of weed in his room. Supposed to have more on him. Well, let's go. Come on. What do you think, trouble? Well, don't be surprised. Charles, like to talk to you. What's that? Police officers like to talk to you and your two friends here downtown. Can't make it, copper. Flying to Vegas tonight. We want to see you downtown first. Luck don't push me, huh? Nobody's pushing you, Charles. We want to see you downtown. Now, come on, let's go. Look out, Joe! Wrap him, Sam! <laughs> That's it. Three of them. Okay. Not get him. All right. All right. Come on, you. And I'm glad this doesn't come up often. Where's the barber? He ran outside. Rough one, huh? Yeah. What's your hunch, Joe? Think one of these three is the big tomato? I don't know. Let's ask him. A search of the barber shop failed to reveal the presence of any narcotics. Tony Childs and his two companions were found to have a dozen sticks of marijuana in their possession. They were treated for cuts and bruises at Georgia Street and then booked for suspicion of narcotics, a felony, at the main jail. Three other men found at Childs' apartment at the time of the raid were also booked. We got nowhere questioning any of them. As usual, we had the small fry, but the ringleader, the big tomato, was still in the clear. Still free to hire somebody else to run the marijuana supply line into the high schools. Three weeks passed. Together with Captain Kearney and Sergeant Barr, Ben and I rechecked our earlier leads. We ran down anything that even looked like it might be promising. Nothing panned out. Wednesday, June 5th, 5.30 p.m., we got a call from the main jail. Tony Childs wanted to talk to us. Ben and I went over to see him. Charles? I got something for you. 
Been playing the stooge long enough. If I'm good enough for jail, so's he. All right, what do you got? It's a big buy coming off. When you get him, tell him how long I've been in here. What kind of a buy? Mary, one of the biggest. It was set up before I got in here. Where's the mate going to be? Bruno Street, down by the train yards. I'll draw you a map. Setup's the same. Car pulls up and honks a couple of times in an alley down there. Who's handling the buy? A big man. Don't waste any time. When is it? Tonight. We went back to the office and met with Sergeants Barr and Jacobson. 8 p.m. Ben and I took up our positions on the stakeout along with the rest of the men. We had a clear view of the exact location where the buy was to be made. We waited. 10 p.m. 11 p.m. No one showed. Midnight came and went. 1.30 a.m. Still no sign. At 18 minutes of 2, we spotted the man carrying a shopping bag emerge from behind a row of freight cars near the end of the rail yard. He made his way across the street to the alley. He stood back in the shadows. As soon as the car gets in the alley, we pull up and block it, huh? Yeah, that's right. Beck will do the same thing down at the other end. Headlights coming in the alley. Rumor. No. No, they're going on through. What's the time now? Four minutes to two. We waited. Eighteen minutes passed. Still no sign of the car that, according to Childs, was supposed to be there for the big buy. We could still see the figure of a man with a shopping bag huddled in the alley. 3 a.m. Joe. Yeah. Car down there in the alley? Yeah. That's it. You want to start up? Yep. Just enough to block the alley. Uh-huh. That's good. All right, come on, let's go. Come on. All right, chill your engine and get out of the car. Joe, look out! They can't go far. Come on. All right, let's get him out of there. Yeah. There's three of them. Yeah. Here's the guy with the shopping bag. All right, I got him. Crash knocked them cold. Yeah. That's one. Easy there. Yeah. Pull right over there, will you? That's get his coat off of that. I got it. Okay. That's it. That's it. All three of them. Yeah. Hey. Hey, look at this, Joe. Found one of them in this guy's hand. Tin can, huh? Mm-hmm. Full of marijuana. Did you look at the labels on those cans? Yeah. Fancy, solid, packed tomatoes. There he is. The big tomato. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On October 3rd, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 89, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. John A. Stanson, alias the Big Tomato, along with his associates in the narcotic gang, was tried and convicted for violating the State Narcotic Act. He received sentences as prescribed by law and are now serving their terms in the state penitentiary. The radio editors of the United States and Canada have named Dragnet the best radio program of its type for 1950. 
and Dragnet's Jack Webb, the most promising star of tomorrow. In behalf of Dragnet, I'd like to thank the radio editors of the United States and Canada and the editors of Motion Picture Daily, who conducted the voting in the 15th annual poll for Fame magazine. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Later, hear Spellbound with Joseph Cotton on Screen Directors on NBC. This is Andrea J. Graham, author of the Web Surfer series. Oh, and a man's wife. You're listening to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. Welcome back. Well, just a great uh, procedural episode, and I like the twist of how the Big Tomato uh, got his nickname. Overall, just another really good, engaging Dragnet episode. Well, with that, we do turn to listener comments and feedback, and uh, we start with the letter from Peter, who writes, um, I didn't like the terms of PayPal, so I'm sending you an old-fashioned check. Please keep up the great podcast. Thanks a lot, Peter. Uh, appreciate your uh, comments and uh, your support. Uh, then we have a question regarding an episode we haven't gotten to, but which we won't get to because it's missing. And uh, John says, uh, Hi, Adam. I've only recently discovered your Dragnet stuff, and I'm really impressed. It seems that my favorite episode, The Big Cop, is missing from your collection. And you searching as I am for the episode, are you searching as I am for the episode radio and or TV version? I remember having seen and heard both versions back in the day. Could it be that the famous LAPD have somehow placed an embargo on this? I recall having heard that through an arrangement with Jack Webb, the LAPD uh, were given pristine copies of all episodes. I know that the LAPD have, in recent years, developed a rather unsavory reputation, but this kind of cover-up is rather uh, childish. What do you, uh, thank you. Um, well, John, um, I am a big believer in Hanlon's Razor, which states never to attribute to malice what can be adequately uh, explained by stupidity or incompetence. And the thing with uh, the big cop if, say, every single episode of Dragnet were accounted for, both radio and television, and there were one mysterious episode missing, I might get a little bit suspicious. But in this case, there are 11 missing radio episodes. There are nearly, uh, or I should say more than 200 TV episodes from the 1950s that are missing. So I would say no conspiracy, uh, at least not by the LAPD to suppress anything. Because whatever was in the big cop is pretty innocuous compared to uh, so much of reporting on the LAPD, both currently and in that era. And I am always on the lookout, always hopeful that uh, more episodes of Dragnet will uh, show up. It seems to me that uh, the TV episodes in particular should be out there uh, somewhere, given that it was the f first big series into syndication, 
and uh, the a-, a series was syndicated on TV stations across America, starting uh, in the early 50s and going all the way up until when the 1960s series began running and rerun. That we only have 60 of the 270 uh, some odd episodes really does seem well odd. Uh, Now, there is a possibility of collectors, individual collectors, uh, having and hoarding uh, these episodes. And there are people out there who are collectors of things who it is a pleasure to them if they own something that nobody else uh, has seen or which the general public can't see. So that's a possibility, but no conspiracy. Just a mishandling by the original uh, copyright owners at Universal and a neglect of a lot of the uh, films and works, which is definitely unfortunate. And then uh, there's a question here from uh, Brian who said, uh, just wondering why a lot of the titles start with the big and uh, love the video with Lee Marvin, of course, referring to the big cast. Um, Well, Brian, it's a good question. Um, I'll do the best I can to answer. I read all the way through um, the uh, great um, book, My Name is Friday, and it was never addressed in there by Michael Hayde, which I assume means he didn't uh, find an answer as to why that uh, preference occurred. I can say that there were uh, several stories and at least three big um, mystery noir movies that use the big in uh, their title. There was, of course, The Big Sleep. Then there was The Big Heat and The Big Combo. And there were actually three episodes of Philip Marlowe, um, one of which uh, we'll be playing on Wednesday that use the big in their titles. So it does kind of have this sort of mystery, noirish sort of feel attached to it. Beyond that, it's a stylistic choice. There were quite a few shows that opted to use naming schemes for their episode titles. The most popular and actually the least imaginative way to name an episode is the case of the... The Adventure of the... And there were multiple uh, series that used that. Uh, Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, adopted uh, Matters. The Adventures of Sam Spade had Capers. Even uh, the smaller show, uh, Inspector Thorne, each of their episodes was called a murder case. And it it creates a sort of sense of uh, uniformity in a naming pattern, almost a brand, certainly like matters for yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Uh, Others did other things like the lineup. uh, They started going with tongue twisters for their titles, which I guess was just kind of a fun preoccupation for the writers because nobody had to read the things on the air. Well, until some guy in Idaho started rebroadcasting them and then had to do three or four takes. But I digress. It's really a much older device. Um, It's not um, really done to use that sort of consistent naming uh, scheme today. Uh, Probably the ones that I can think of that did it uh, from uh, late 80s, early 90s, same, uh, and I think they had a lot of the same people involved on the uh, Perry Mason mysteries, um, 
the uh, titles, you know, would be Perry Mason in the case of the da-da-da-da. And uh, the Father Dowling mysteries, every single episode would be a murder, uh, a mystery. The perfect couple mystery. The confidence mystery. The mafia priest mystery. And the, those, I, I know that the Perry Mason was definitely tied into the book series as well as the earlier TV series. And I think Father Dowling, uh, the, the use of the mystery in each title may have been tied into the book series as well. And probably the only thing that I, I remember in the 21st century that's uh, in terms of a mystery that's done that sort of naming scheme is uh, Mr. It was uh, Monk where every single uh, case would be titled Mr. Monk and this, Mr. Monk and that, and the big variation is Mr. M uh, Mr. Monk does something instead of Mr. Monk and. But Monk's name would be in every title. And in many ways, Monk was a bit of a throwback in the way that it uh, did a lot of things. And certainly the naming scheme was uh, no different in a way that it was uh, following in a lot of the steps of the classic... Uh, uh, mystery stories. So I hope that's the so that's the long answer. The short answer is I don't really know, but that's a theory. So thanks so much for the question, Brian. All right. Well, that will do it for today. Join us tomorrow. One thousand eight hundred episodes passed, and we're going to celebrate with a one-hour episode featuring someone you wouldn't normally see in a mystery or a thriller. It's going to be Pat O'Brien. And then join us back here on Monday for Michael Shane, next Saturday, Dragnet, and next Thursday, the concluding episode of our run through Nick Carter. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.